0: From gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this
1: terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop <laughs> from outer space.
0: <laughs> Happy Halloween to all you fuckers out there from us at the podcast from outer space. It is. The Halloween edition with your boy Rob Scott. We got Adam Narlock in the house tonight. Hey guys, thanks for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Hello, hello everybody, far
2: and wide, evening or night, wherever you may be. And happy motherfucking
0: Hallow's Eve. Hope you guys are ready to get a little spooky.
2: (laughs) Yes, so it is that time of year. Happy Halloween, as Rob said. Now the witches, the goblins, the ghouls, the ghosts... The goons and the demons—they uh, are out, and we are coming to you on this All Hallows' Eve with a very special episode. We thought long and hard about this one. Very hard. Very hard. Very long. Very long. And uh, extremely hard. We all agreed that we would dive into drum roll, please. It's spooky, it's legendary, it's paranormal, it's sci fi, it's an all time classic Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. (laughs) (laughs) So, in this episode, we will be getting into Ghostbusters 1 and 2, uh, the real Ghostbusters cartoon,
0: and the fake female cast Ghostbusters movie.
2: Yep, and we are going to touch just a bit on the 2016 reboot, and of course, Ghosts, um, a lot of ghost talk, all while discussing the man behind the curtain, Dan Aykroyd himself.
1: Now, uh, any chance? God, we, I love that. <laughs> any chance we get a touch on some of those ghost movies we talked about earlier?
2: Oh yeah, we'll be talking about a lot of ghost movies. Now, speaking of ghost movies, we'll get to that later in the podcast. Let's get to some Halloween talk. Would you guys do Halloween? It was this weekend, right? I mean, Halloween falls on a Wednesday this week. It's no secret. So
0: most people are celebrating the weekend before, right? Crazy for that uh, If you're an adult, yes. Yeah, because I mean, the <laughs> weekend. Sure kids are still going out tonight, trick-or-treating.
2: Well, that's, yeah. And I mean, the weekend after, it's over. So, you know, no parties going on then, right? Hey man, some people still party on a Wednesday night. So Rob, I know what you did because we were we went to a <laughs> house we party. Yep, we went to a house party. Um Rob, you were there. Rob, you were there. Uh, dressed up as
0: Conor McGregor.
2: Oh, <laughs> you would. Hey, this guy, you would. Dressed up as Conor McGregor. Last, he had a a Russian guy choking him out the whole
0: night. <laughs> nah, uh, that was just my cock.
2: And uh, me, I was Jack Torrance from The Shining with my girlfriend was Wendy Torrance. Now Actually, that,
0: probably couples costume of the night. Yeah, I, and
2: I will say that's probably my first uh, couples costume I've ever done. So round of applause hey, for me, Maza right? Top, really? dude. Yeah, very, very true. Uh, now, Beats the hell out of Tinkerbell true. and Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah, now, uh, tea bag. What did you do? What were we getting into um, the Halloween celebrations? Where did we bring back the Peter Pan? <laughs>
0: Well, we know he wasn't dressing up like James Dean again because my leather jacket's still in my closet. And
2: did we not see you because you had some sort of panic attack?
0: <laughs> <laughs> was there so many people at this party and maybe you just couldn't come this time?
1: So That was not me for the record. <laughs> no, this year Papa took it easy, carved some pumpkins, which my dad thought was a euphemism. Okay. So for, <laughs> for
0: what?
2: <laughs> Don't you worry about
0: that, uh,
1: buddy. Carving them out? Carving them out. But I actually did carve a pumpkin. I tried to do a bender.
2: Okay, nice.
0: Um, you were on a bender or you carved a bender? Maybe
1: a little pumpkin. bit of both. We had a <laughs> met a nice young man from uh, Carl Strauss Brewing Company. Shout out to those guys. They make a good Oktoberfest.
0: Ooh, I pass by that place every day on my way to work. Wow. So you carved pumpkins at a brewery? No, no, no. I carved... <laughs> that would be pretty good. <laughs> that, cool. that would be cool. Cool idea if you have a brewery out there.
2: Hey,
1: actually, you know, if you guys are listening, I talked to this guy from Carl Strauss. Go check out their brewery. What they have this year is like a pumpkin keg now that is a great idea in my book
0: so, so what? Beer's inside of the pumpkin I'm i don't the know if beer is the beer some sort it. of pumpkin flavored stout it would be good wouldn't it they have a giant pumpkin like charlie brown and they're filled with beer go check it out it's a mystery scooby-doo okay who <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right now i mean how how are we feeling about horror movies this year i mean saw the new halloween did you guys see it yet
0: Gonna go see it tomorrow.
2: Okay, I will. All right, I don't want to spoil it. Then I will say, great flick. Um, pretty good. Heard it was pretty funny. Pretty good. Oh yeah, de- I mean, you can definitely see it's no secret. Danny McBride helped mm. to write it. You can definitely see that comic relief in there. Um, I mean, what else, guys? Oh, you know, what's funny about a guy in a mask killing people? Well,
1: see the movie. See the out. movie to
2: find out. <laughs> uh, Haunting of Hill House. You guys seen this yet? Did uh, we finish? Yes, I did finish. Now consensus. Is this the Netflix one? Yeah, yeah. this is a Netflix hmm.
0: original. You didn't watch it.
1: Now, is your boy a big horror guy?
0: No, uh, he is not. No, he's not. Oh, I thought you said hooers. Well, we know you're into that. So now no, I did not see the house, Haunting of Hat Hill House. Too busy watching Nutbusters. Got it. <laughs> did you like it? <laughs> uh, I thought it was good, yeah. Okay.
2: I will say, very sad.
0: Everything was sad. I wanted to see more fucking- uh, I mean, spoil. can I say spoiler alert? Yeah, sure. Go um ahead towards the end i did call it so maybe a little bit predictable okay because when the dad was going through the house at the end with the mom i was like i looked at alex i said this guy's about to fucking off himself to set the kids free watch she was like no he wouldn't do that <laughs>
2: boom of course he does <laughs> now and not really horror but i guess new venom did you guys see it? It was rated R, Marvel. Um, you know, we haven't done a review in a while.
0: Yeah, I saw that like a month ago, dude.
2: Yeah. I New those. Venom was great. I mean, I, I, it, I did get
0: a lot of bad reviews, but I personally liked it. I thought it was one of the better Marvel flicks. Now, coincidentally, I heard some guys talking at work about it today, and they're like some very heavy Marvel nerds.
2: Uh-huh. But
0: number one, they didn't know that Venom was a Marvel character. Or... Mm, so they're not <laughs> well then they're saying like oh well, in the comic book it's not as funny as it was in the movie and well yeah like, yeah well, i think you know marvel kind of realized that adding that comedy in like with guardians is what works for them so why not just continue it with venom yeah and they were like oh yeah i didn't really think about it <laughs> like that
1: well teabag did you see it yet did not but i will say venom was one of my favorite uh anti- anti-heroes is that the word i'm looking for not yes. the word i'm looking for
0: that's the word you're looking for. what about for. the video game carnage, Ooh, maximum carnage i was just yeah. gonna say well oh, nice.
2: without spoiling it um go check it out maybe we'll get in here and do a venom review we haven't done a review for you guys in a while so maybe that's something we could do any other um horror stuff any other movies any other good stuff we've seen um Saw Slender Man. That sucked.
0: Don't bother going to see that. <laughs> I didn't see it because you told me that it was terrible. So uh, no, I think Haunting of Hill House is the last scary thing that I watched. Ooh, you guys see the uh, Sabrina special on Netflix? Ooh, I did watch the first episode. That's it though. But not for not. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great.
1: Dude, it sucked. Total mind blow. I was expecting like Sabrina the Teenage Witch it's from very my childhood. Dark,
0: dude.
2: Well, it's no Melissa Joan Hart. That's what I'm
1: saying. Very Bring dark. her back.
0: <laughs> Lady well, takes
1: some scissors to the jugular first five minutes. That's it's crazy. R-
0: it's written by the same people that do uh, Riverdale. so mm. Appealing to that audience. I heard that it was actually sh- supposed to be like a crossover into Riverdale, but they wanted to go too dark with the Sabrina story, and the Riverdale people didn't like that, even though that show's kind of dark itself.
1: Well, don't let it ruin your childhood if you haven't seen it yet. That's all I'm going to say.
0: OG Sabrina,
1: way better. Oh, yeah.
0: agree.
2: We love you, Melissa. So... Without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, Ghostbusters. Now, want to cite a few sources for this one? Uh, mostly articles uh, found on USA Today, IGN, IMDb, uh, BBC. Is and... that where you found the uh, adult films at? That is not. Oh. <laughs> and uh, ArmageddonOnline.org, as well as Ouija: The Most Dangerous Game by Stoker Hunt and also the book that really got me into the whole episode, uh, which was written by Dan Aykroyd's father, Peter Aykroyd, and specifically is about his father's father, Samuel Aykroyd, um, basically about his notes. Uh, The book is A History of Ghosts, The True Story of Seances, Mediums, Ghosts, and Ghostbusters by Peter Aykroyd with a foreword by Dan Aykroyd. Now, I will say... This book is a little different than expected. Uh, it can be kind of boring at times, but you know if you're into history, if you're a big history buff, uh, if you're into Paranormal, I'd at the very least recommend it. Uh, it's a pretty short read. Um, kind of interesting, you know, if, if you have any interest in that sort of thing at all. Now Dan himself actually comes from a long line of paranormal researchers. I mean, this shit is in his blood, this is in his bone marrow, it's in his DNA, um, and obviously this is one of the factors that really helped Ghostbusters to even be made in the first place, and I think this is what helped to make the film that much better, because I mean, come on guys, you gotta tip your hat off to him, this one is an all-time classic, am I right? I will agree, yes sir. And this was something that, you know, Dan was truly interested in. He was really passionate about that. And, and you know, keep this in mind. This will come up in a uh, spiel a little later. But, I mean, what are some of your guys' first memories, first exposures to uh, Ghostbusters, the films, cartoons, action figures? I mean, what do we got? You know, I will say
1: <clears throat> I remember I had a whole bunch of the toys when I was a kid. Again, my mom worked in the toy shop. I was real big into Slimer. That was my guy. Oh, yeah. I great, had like, great character. Yeah, I had like the stuffed animal. He was all over that ecto-cooler juice. <laughs> but uh, I think my fondest memory of the movies wasn't until like coming home from scout camp one summer and my dad turned on Ghostbusters 2 and I was just like, man, I just had this epic week with my dad and now we're watching Ghostbusters 2 together.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: Now- I will say I think the original is better than the second, but I I can't really think of the first time I watched it, but I do remember watching it a lot when we were growing up, one and two.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, um, it's no secret. Our father, again, big Dan Aykroyd guy. I mean, this guy showed us stripes. um, He showed us stripes when I was like very young. (laughs) Uh, He showed us... Uh Ghostbusters, Trading Places, Caddyshack. I mean anything with like Bill Murray, uh Dan Aykroyd, yep, yep. Sean
0: Candy, RF. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And um I remember seeing I now I will say I do remember Ghostbusters two. Um I remember seeing that more than Ghostbusters One. Like yeah. I have more memories of that as a kid than Ghostbusters One, probably because it came out closer to when I was born than Ghostbusters. The original Ghostbusters, but I just remember the painting. I remember the River of Slime. Like, that, yeah, that is like much more built up in my childhood memory than, um, you know,
0: Stay Puffed and everything (laughs) in number one. Stay Puffed and Slimer aren't as cool as the pink slime in the painting.
2: I mean, didn't say that. It is really a toss up for me. I mean, we'll get into our spiels a little later, our consensus on what we like. Um, now, now does
0: busting make you feel good?
2: It does. Now, how about speaking of busting, doing a little busting ourselves? <laughs> That's what I did this weekend. Now, you know, so you carved a hole into a pumpkin, and we're busting in there. Well, not with the pumpkin. <laughs> now, uh, it's a
1: euphemism.
2: Doing a little busting ourselves. Every kid, we're doing we're ghost
0: hunting as kids, right? I mean we we I don't how, know if every kid does that that might really be is
2: that not a kid thing? I feel like it is
0: some kids are too scared to do that,
2: <laughs> but <laughs> I mean not uh, let's get into this. I mean, we constantly it's no secret there is many legends um surrounding Virginia Beach, Virginia, where we grew up, um uh, constantly going out late trying to get spooked, trying to find something supernatural, something paranormal, uh, going to legendary haunted spots, sneaking out, and going to Taco Bell, you know?
0: (laughs) Classic. (laughs) So, mainly, the goal is going to get Taco Bell.
2: (laughs) Mainly, the goal is sneaking out and getting Taco Bell. But, I mean, ghost hunting, that was a... I would say a prominent, uh, what do you, uh, a staple in our upbringing, right? Am I right? Yeah, I don't think I like started
0: ghost hunting until I started hanging out with you guys. And again, I think the end game was getting Taco Bell. I will say the the most memorable time I had is when we had just watched that Dead Silent movie, oh, and yeah, uh, Jed's puppets, dad has the, ventriloquist. the uh, ventriloquist dummy, and we put it in Billy's seat when he got out of the car. <laughs> now, <laughs> and when he hopped back in, he like freaked the fuck out.
2: Now. In all of our extensive years of ghost hunting, paranormal research, did we ever find a ghost?
0: I don't think you find it when you're hunting for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, okay. Now, never found a ghost, but we had a hell we of did, a good time. did some busting.
0: <laughs> we had a hell of a good time.
2: I mean, let's get into Dan Aykroyd. Um, as we were saying before... Uh ghost busting is in Dan's roots. Uh, and it can be Would you say you would blame it all on his roots? I would actually, you know. Um this can basically all be traced to Dan's great grandfather, Samuel Aykroyd. Uh, this guy was a dentist Ugh. and a mystic. Um this guy was heavily involved in spiritual in the spiritualism movement. Did he used to be an elf? <laughs> no, he did not, but that is what I thought of when I read that. Uh, He was heavily involved in the spiritualism movement and an early paranormal researcher. And um, this guy, he was basically on the forefront of uh, the spiritualism movement. And he was also a member of the Lily Dale Society. What the fuck is that? Uh, Lily Dale was incorporated in 1879. And it was basically a kind of camp, a meeting place for spiritualists and free thinkers and it eventually became the City of Light in 1903, and then the Lilydale Assembly in 1906. And its purpose is to further the science, philosophy, and religion of spiritualism. It was basically a meeting places. It's a cult. Not a cult. It's, it's, it's still a town. Like, you can still go there and visit it. It's I'd a be town. interested to go in there. It's this in- is kind of like Unarius. Um, no, not really. I mean, it's in upstate New York. It's its whole town and it's just... Let's go there. Everybody, yeah, everybody's into ghosts and seances, mediums, that sort of thing. We'll go check that out. We'll go see Buffalo finally. Yeah. And you know, uh, I've never even been to Buffalo. Now, a brief overview of this book. So it kind of goes into... History on mediums, seances, and the paranormal in general, but more so focused on um, seances. And more or less the big players in the field that Samuel Aykroyd had some sort of interaction with. Because the book is basically a collection of his notes from uh, early 1900s to the 1930s. So you have about 30 years of history on this subject and how the world kind of... uh, Changed and the spiritual spiritualist movement evolved in relation to uh, ghosts uh, throughout that time. It even hits on like major hoaxes. So you know he's playing uh, both sides of the fence here. Dan's father, who wrote the book, he's on, he's he's presenting hoaxes. He's presenting uh, evidence. uh, You know, playing devil's advocate while at the same time trying to, you know, get to the evidence. That's what the book's all about. And there's one quote that more or less sums up uh, his whole spiel, uh, taken right from the introduction, and this is... Beyond the world that we can see and touch, there is an invisible world.
1: Consider radio waves, television waves, and cell phone signals, each vibrating at its own frequency. Have we ever seen these waves? No, only what they produce. Consider magnetism, electricity, and gravity... We cannot see any of them. We only experience what they produce.
2: What's our reading on that? I mean, this is kind of, I mean, here. I'm outnumbered this episode. Last episode, we kind of gave our ghost stories, gave our consensus. You guys, big believers in ghosts. Me, not so much. I mean, is that what you guys would kind of consider
0: uh, ghosts, spirits, um, some sort of afterlife? I mean... I see what I kind of see the point of where he's coming from in the fact that, you know, just because you can't always see it doesn't mean it's not there, okay. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But like Santa Claus. Well, no, he's, he's real. <laughs> Bam went to his house. Very spiritual. <laughs> um, I would say that maybe ghosts do like exist in their own like frequency, so to speak. But obviously, there's times where they kind of coexist in like our, they cross the, over yeah kind of like this, our dimension that's you know like I mean? a,
2: this reminded me of our mount shasta episode mm. you know it's a different frequency with the whole ufo base pyramid gas thing mm-hmm. it's called lst <laughs> okay well now Adam, how a, about
1: you there's a scientific formula for like magnetism
2: electricity and gravity right i don't know i'm not a scientist
1: I feel like there is, and I feel like maybe, and I would love to see the math. I'm sure with some research, we could find it. Maybe there's a scientific formula for ghosts.
2: Okay, a scientific formula. Now, what is that like? Come up with an experiment, hypothesis, E equals square yeah. yeah. what squared. Yeah, are we something talking? like that.
1: I'm not a scientist
0: either, brother. <laughs> okay. He just something. teaches it. He's not a scientist.
2: <laughs> now, Aykroyd
0: considers himself a spiritualist, uh, and he says that... I'm a spiritualist proud wear of the spiritualist batch mediums and psychic research have gone on for many many years loads of people have seen spirits heard a voice or felt cold temperature i believe that they are between here and there and that they exist between the fourth and fifth dimension and that they visit us frequently so this is kind of what you you, Rob, we're getting that. Like, you know,
2: hey, maybe they exist on their own plane, um, and sometimes we get little blips, little crossovers. Um, you know, this is like what we were talking about last week with our residual
0: hauntings, where it's like a, a video playing on a loop. Mm. Uh, well, also, speaking to that, I, I feel like how you were, we were just talking about the ghost hunting and that uh, – you know, a lot of the times when you're going looking for stuff, you're not going to find it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's just like me with UFOs. Spirits, I want to
0: see a UFO. Spirits, but. you know, I feel like they decide who they want to connect with and who they want to interact with. Okay. And if that happens to be you, then it's you. It's not. It's nothing that you can really control, Cheers. you know? Yeah. You're, you're yeah, not going to go to a haunted house and like automatically the ghost is just waiting in there. Hey, what's up?
2: Yeah, yeah. See, that's kind of where I'm getting at where... I'm saying, you know, I want to see the evidence. I want an experience. I want to believe this stuff, but it's just never happened to me. And maybe, you know, I'm not that type of person. You know, I, I do believe that there is certain people. It's like The Shining, you know. Danny has The Shining where he can see the other ghosts, you know. Mm-hmm. Sixth Sense. Where you you just gotta go get your shine box. This is Tony. <laughs> 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 you know, like he can talk to ghosts and stuff, and maybe I just don't have that. Maybe I'm never going
0: to see it. You just got to polish off that third eye, buddy.
2: Uh, But, you know, our own teabag over here, he's uh, been seeing cat ghosts his whole life. (laughs) Loves the pussy. And that's come from his mom, too. His mom's seen him. She passed it on to him. The ghosts? Yeah, pussy magnets. You guys are both pussy magnets. (laughs) You're unbelievable. (laughs) Now, uh, Dan Aykroyd himself, uh, he's also interested in several other aspects of the paranormal, Um, particularly our favorite UFOs. UFOs. Uh, Aykroyd says when he was a kid, um, the Day the Earth Stood Still, the original version, and um, the 1952 Washington, D.C. sightings are um, really what got him interested and involved in looking more into um, this sort of paranormal stuff. And basically, he kind of became an expert in his own regard on this stuff. I mean, this is kind of like us on this podcast. I mean, we've been saying the past few episodes, like our dad turned us on to a lot of this stuff, Mm. and we kind of said, hey, you know, I basically want to know all I can about this. I do the research, and we bring this stuff to you guys. High-quality, top-notch content for our legion of listeners. Yep. And um, Dan himself, he's a lifetime member and official Hollywood consultant for the Mutual UFO Network, also known as MUFON. Um, he has also served as a host of Psi Factor, I hope it's Psi, not PSI, um, Chronicles of the Paranormal from 1996 to 2000, um, which claims to describe actual cases drawn from the Office of Scientific Investigation and Research, or OSIR. Uh, This is sort of similar to One Step Beyond, where they, you know, fabricate a story, but it's based in some sort of reality, whether it be somebody said this, or it's, you know, a recorded, it's on the record as, hey, this happened. Dan even goes on record in the DVD, Dan Aykroyd Unplugged on UFOs, where he is interviewed for 80 minutes by ufologist David Serrata. Uh, discussing several aspects and his beliefs on UFOs. And he has, he's even seen himself not one, but four UFOs in his lifetime. Disclaimer
1: Dan Aykroyd unplugged is not musically. Yeah, it's, related. Uh, it's
2: no, this is not MTV, it's not Nirvana. <laughs> now, uh, I pulled a clip from this because take a listen here. And essentially, this applies to his quote from earlier that Rob read on ghosts and uh, spiritual beliefs as well. Um, pretty interesting stuff. So here's Dan on UFOs. Many theories now purport that uh, there were not only four dimensions at the creation of the entire multiverse 14 billion years ago at the time of the Big Bang, there were 11, maybe as many as 21 dimensions. So some of these beings may be coming from from an extra dimensional, uh, So, you know, right there, he's basically saying that, hey, not only are ghosts coming from other dimensions, but maybe aliens as well. Uh, this He's a big dimensions guy, Dan. This is one where I feel like we could get high and, like, discuss the multiverse.
1: You guys ever seen the TED Talk where the Wu-Tang Clan discusses the multiverse, breaks it down? Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, there's uh, extensive stuff. I've actually been doing a lot of research into, like, um, like a, maybe possibly a Matrix episode with, mm. like, multiverse and, like, computer simulation, that sort of thing. Well, let us know what you guys think about that. <laughs> now, uh... In an excerpt from Dan's foreword in the book, uh, he goes on to explain that part of the reason why Ghostbusters was successful is that the characters essentially accept the paranormal as fact. Mm. Um, He calls it, quote unquote, acceptance of fantastic as routine. A willing suspension of disbelief. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if it's the same as that, but he says, this element was originated from his great grandpappy. (laughs) And uh, he bequeathed his collection of books on the subject to his son, Dan's grandfather, Maurice, who was a bell telephone engineer. And uh, what he did was sort of dabble in the possibility of constructing a high-vibration crystal radio as a mechanical method for contact with the spiritual world.
0: Whoa. Some people call
2: him Maurice. So... uh, (laughs) So his son, Maurice's son, Dan's father, in turn grew up witnessing seances, and the books were passed down to him, and Dan and his brother Peter read them extensively and will become lifelong supporters of the American Society for Physical Research, and due to this specific chain of events, Ghostbusters was made. So June 8th, 1984, Ghostbusters is released. Uh, this was directed by Ivan Reitman, uh, who had only really done like Stripes was his biggest picture uh, before Ghostbusters.
0: So basically, he's just boys with Dan Aykroyd.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, and um, seems to be the trend. Now, this uh, film was written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, uh, R.I.P. You know, pour one out for this guy. Um, he died. Was that in- his uncle, Ramis? <laughs> no, dude. He's also <laughs> in Stripes. You know. Yeah, I know. It was, it was
1: a joke. Um, yes, Uncle Ramos. I know the catfish are huge.
2: <laughs> so, you know, pour one out for him. Uh, the film had a budget of $30 million and it pulled in $295.2 million, uh, making it a huge financial success. Now, this whole concept of ghost-catching comedy, this wasn't new. Uh, this had been done several times over, You know, you had movies like The Ghost Chasers, and it was a 1951 comedy starring the Bowery Boys. Uh, You had Abbott and Costello. They used the same plot. You got The Ghost Breakers in 1940. This was a comedy film with Bob Hope. And even as early as 1937, Disney had a short titled Lonesome Ghost," in which Mickey, Donald, and Goofy run a ghost exterminating business. Classic. Yep. Yeah. And this short also includes this famous line.
0: <laughs> oh, I you scared of no ghosts?
2: <laughs> so this is where we get the classic line, I ain't afraid of no ghosts, which that's a double negative, right? I mean, I'm no teacher, but yes, it is. The 2016 movie actually calls that out. So basically they're saying they are afraid of ghosts. <sighs> You just blew some minds <laughs> now uh so these movies like these classic you know slapstick comedy movies about ghosts like um you know in home alone 2 when he's throwing the bricks off the building <laughs> and, he's like, hey, hey, and he's like hey he like can't tell him that's what these ghost movies are it's like one guy sees the ghost behind the other guy and he just can't Can't get it out. He's like, (laughs) you know, like that's what these classic movies were about. So Dan's thinking, Hey, you know, it's time for a revamp, a makeover. He thinks, you know, I mean, hell I like ghosts. Maybe other people will too. Uh, so his plan was to redo one of the old ghost comedies of yesteryear, but he wanted to use, you know, the research that was being done at the time, uh, give it a modern touch. At the time, there was plausible research that could point to a device that could capture ectoplasm or materialization. Now, if you don't know... Now you know! Ectoplasm, as defined in Dan's father's book, A History of Ghosts, is... Considered
1: by spiritualists to be the basis of all physical phenomena, ectoplasm is referred to in some texts as teleplasm. In other writings, it is referred to as ideoplasm because it takes the shape impressed on it by spirits. Materialization seances are held in semi or full darkness because light is said to destroy ectoplasm. An apport is an item that has been dematerialized somewhere else and then materialized in the seance room by the spirit. Typically gemstones, flowers, or even small live animals.
2: So uh, Dan also cites uh, specifically an article about quantum physics and parapsychology in the American Society of Physical Research Journal. Call that Aesop Rocky. Now, I did look this up, and this is much too boring to get into here, uh, but just know that in the late 70s, early 80s, um, this was a time where serious scientific research was sort of booming in the field of parapsychology. Uh, You know, you had scientific research looking into reincarnation, altered states of consciousness, uh, remote viewing. You guys familiar? (laughs) I mean, basically, remote viewing is like, you know, in um, Stranger Things, when Eleven goes in the isolation tank and then she can see, like, what's happening, but it's isolated. Mm. That's sort of like remote viewing. Uh, You know, you, you know, the government was doing all this shit on the hush. Decades
0: before the 80s. Guys, it's called Department of Energy, all right.
2: Yeah, I mean, they had Project Stargate going on in the 1950s. We've all a, seen Pineapple Express. Yeah, we Whip-bong, all know what's whip-doo-doo. happening. Uh, the government, they're big on ghosts uh, way before the 80s. But in the 80s is where it was really coming out into academic research. Um, he also cites this guy Hans Holzer. Uh, poor one out again. This guy passed away in 09. Um, this is a guy who Dan said was really the original Ghostbuster. Um, he wrote more than 140 books on ghosts, the afterlife, witchcraft, extraterrestrial beings, and other phenomenon associated with the realm he called, quote unquote, the other side. Hello from the other <laughs> side. <laughs> That's better. You sing The German version, though. Hello
0: so, <laughs> from the other side. <laughs> This is Hans. <laughs> uh, this guy actually
2: coined the term "the other side." And how's this for oh, some? So Adele actually has to pay him.
1: Yeah, yeah so That's how that instead works. of us
2: paying her, she can just pay him. Well, now, got it. How's this for some synchronicity? This guy actually graduated, or he actually studied at Columbia University, which is in Ghostbusters, where the Ghostbusters taught. Um, and he also got was one
0: plus. of what. I said, did he get a D plus?
2: <laughs> <laughs> he was also one of the first guys to do research into the Amityville Horror House. Uh, mm. He was one of the psychics going in there, you know, saying he was like, I think, one of the first guys to throw out the Indian burial stuff, which was a bunch of BS. Mm. Um, so this guy's a phony. Yeah, and so he's also... He's good at making money for doing nothing. Yeah, and also when I was looking at this, we didn't even hit on it on our last e- episode on Amityville. Did you know where the one of the articles that would become the book um, appeared in? No, I did not. Good Housekeeping. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Okay. Now Wait, they else? had like an excerpt from the story in the magazine? Yeah, or, yeah. Mm? Favorite non-pornographic magazine to jerk off to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so... In Aykroyd's original version of the script, um, which I guess was essentially just like, it was a huge thing, and it was mostly like storyboard pictures. So it was like the hustler of movies, of scripts, if you will. I guess. um, (laughs) um, But in the original, the Ghostbusters would travel through time space and other dimensions taking on giant ghosts, of which the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man was just one of many. And they wore more... Uh, tactical outfits like a SWAT team and they use wands instead of proton packs to fight the ghosts (laughs) and the original draft of the script uh written by Dan Aykroyd was so large that director Ivan Reitman referred to it as a quote-unquote phone book (laughs) Um, and you know Dan said this was his writing style Um, He knew this was one of his weaknesses, and he says in a quote that he he will just put everything but the kitchen sink in there, and he relies on his colleagues to help kind of shrink it down, bring it into the real
1: world. You know, you'd rather have too much because then you can edit out what you don't need instead of being too short. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Too short.
2: Now, (laughs) originally, Dan was uh, writing this for him and fellow Saturday Night Live alum John Belushi, Poor one out, dude. <laughs> yeah. However, Belushi died uh, due to a drug overdose during the writing of the screenplay. I mean, can you guys imagine? Uh, he mm. was originally going to be the role of Venkman. Can you imagine if John Belushi had taken on that? I mean, what is your thing? Do you think that would have been better than Bill Murray's Bankman?
0: Go spus, oh, Go man. spus. Because, I mean, Bill Murray kind of made the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, that's just because that's all we know and love.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you imagine if it was him, Belushi, and Bill Murray, though?
2: I mean, <sighs> I don't think they would have got Bill Murray if Belushi was sad. Too much star <laughs> power right there, dude. Yeah,
0: but uh, like the warriors
1: of comedy, dude. Looking like the Pittsburgh Penguins.
2: Um, Slimer was actually Dan's tribute to uh, John Belushi. So much sense. You know, Bluto in Animal House, mm-hmm. he's just shoving all the food down there. That was his kind of homage, if you will, his tribute to his pal John Belushi, now other roles were written for Eddie Murphy <laughs> and even John Candy. Uh Louis Tully um who was he was originally going to be a conservative guy in a business suit played by John Candy, but apparently Candy wasn't that into the role and he passed on it and thus we get Rick Moranis portraying Louis as a geek, which, you know, I mean that's just solid comedy right there and so good. Yeah. And uh Gozer was originally going to appear in the form of Ivo Shandor as a slender, unremarkable man in a suit played by Paul Rubens, uh, Pee Wee Herman. So <laughs> Ivo Shandor was gonna be played by Pee Wee Herman. Probably a good call not to go with him. He yeah, would definitely be busting. I mean, that would have been way more added way more comedy to it. So, you know, the filming of the movie and the script itself, like a a lot of it was improv and, you know, the style of filming, um, you know, they kind of just set up and would capture whatever, whenever, like there's a, there's a scene in there in the like montage when they become like the ghostbusters, there's a scene in there where they're in Rockefeller center and they're like running with the, um, trap and they're actually being chased by a security guard because they didn't have a permit to film in Rockefeller <laughs> Center. So they they just kept that in there. Um, you know, the film was shot in uh, mostly New York, L.A. Uh, you know, it was shot between New York and L.A. film sets. A lot of the external shots were in New York, while a lot of the um, internal shots you know the firehouse inside was uh in la uh film studios that sort of thing and you know when most people watch this film you think of it as kind of a new york film
0: right Mm, yeah i guess so but i mean all those guys are like east coast comedians too so
2: yeah and at the time like new york it wasn't like today where it's like you know fucking hipster um, Williamsburg miles um, working at a brewery you know with a beard oh 80s new, new york we're yeah, talking like crack, yeah, it's like you know yeah, demilitarized zone new york yeah. you know it was not a the good warriors. place yeah and um, you know they say a lot of bill murray's scenes were were improv and there's a lot of debate of of like how much of his scenes were improv and how much weren't um but, you know, one of the most classic scenes when he's first goes into uh Segoina so Weaver's apartment and you know when he's like doing the he's like tapping the piano keys and he's like This drives him crazy. They hate that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, that is such a good scene and that is like apparently Bill Murray at his finest right there. That's his improv. Well I'm just saying, if you put that many
1: talented, funny people in one room, don't you kind of just let them do their thing? Like you're not gonna tell van gogh how to paint the mona lisa or who painted the mona lisa <laughs> you're the art guy <laughs> i don't know art, but I'm who just saying, is
2: it art man
1: yeah I can't think of it. I'm just saying, you're not going to tell Michelangelo how to make the David. The Sistine Chapel. Yeah, you're just going to let this talented people do their thing.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I feel like you don't really get that on movies anymore. Like Mm. this movie, it even wrapped on, apparently it wrapped on filming two days early. Oh, I bet they had you know? so much good stuff there because they were just like, "Hey, let's just fucking turn on the cameras and see what we get." Like mm-hmm. nowadays, everything is just so meticulous, so planned out that they're putting so much money into everything that I don't think they're that we're ever going to get that level of of improv ever again in cinema. Basically, cinema free ball, unless it's like an indie film, maybe you know. Now, going back to the whole filming in New York, they would constantly have to block off, like, several city streets. Like, uh, Rob, you were talking about every time you go to New York, they're blocking off a street for Law & Order. Every time. So, apparently, in one of the final scenes, they had to block off, um, like, a few blocks. And this was in, like, rush hour traffic. So, it it blocked – it caused a massive traffic jam. And uh, Isaac Asimov, you know, classic sci-fi writer, legendary, uh, part of the God, one of the Godfathers of the Golden Age of Sci-Fi. We'll probably eventually do an episode on him, but uh, he came out of the one of the buildings and apparently came up to Dan Aykroyd, who was there that day, and uh, you know, Dan said, "Hey, we're you know, we're shooting this paranormal adventure comedy named Ghostbusters." And Isaac Asimov, like, this is one of Dan Aykroyd's heroes, huge sci-fi guy. And he said, you guys are inconveniencing this whole building. You know, this is awful. This is disgusting. I don't know how they ever got away with this. And he kind of basically told him to fuck off and walked away. (laughs) So, you know, he's meeting one of his heroes, telling him to basically fucking kick rocks, you know. (laughs)
0: Well, I guess some people do want to tell Da Vinci how to paint the Mona Lisa.
2: (laughs) What do they say? Never meet your heroes? (laughs) Yeah, never meet your heroes, I
0: guess. That's very true.
2: Um, Another funny thing I saw was the marshmallow. So in the infamous scene, spoiler alert here. um, Marshmallow man. In the ending scene, when they blow up the marshmallow man, um, the marshmallow that rains down on the crowd after Gozer is destroyed was actually shaving cream. Much different substance in those other films. <laughs> yeah, and this is, uh, so basically like nothing like this was shot before. So they say, hey, let's do a trial run before film. So they do a test run with about 75 pounds of shaving cream, and this knocked a stuntman flat on his ass. So they only used about 35 pounds um, in that final shot where they pour it on Walter Peck, the EPA guy. It's called the money shot. Yeah, the money shot. So in that final money shot, that's 35 pounds of shaving cream coming down on this guy. It's a big bust. It certainly is. They were probably eating a lot of celery that day. <laughs> so a lot of kale in his diet. So yeah. the song, you know, we get the iconic song. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Written and performed by Ray Parker Jr. Uh, This would go on to basically add to the movie's success. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, this sparked the catchphrases, who you going to call, and I ain't afraid of no ghosts." Now, in autumn of 1984, singer and songwriter Huey Lewis. Not the news. Yes, Huey Lewis from Huey Lewis and the News. He sued Ray Parker Jr. for plagiarism. Claiming that Parker copied the melody from his song mm. I Want a New Drug. Now let's take a listen to that here. I want a new drug, I want a new drug, one that won't Please. <laughs> yeah, so we don't want to get sued by him, so we're gonna uh, stop that there. Uh, now, O'Huey, he was actually approached to compose the main theme for Ghostbusters, but he declined due to his work on the soundtrack for Back to the Future, which, uh, honestly, classic soundtrack there. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the two musicians settled out a chord on this one. Oh, I think that's great. I think it's a big fuck you. Yeah. I mean, oh, basically. you want know to be part of this movie? We're going to rip what you got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to rip your song, and then... We'll settle out of court. We'll just throw you some money because the movie was that successful. Imagine if you'd gotten in on that franchise. Yeah. Now, you know, the movie goes on to be a big success. Uh, our boy Roger Ebert, he gave the film um, three and a half stars out of four and wrote, quote unquote, this movie is an exception to the general rule that big special effects can wreck a comedy. Uh, rarely has a movie this expensive provided so many quotable lines, which I mean... That's definitely true. Ghostbusters, classic comedy. um, You know, it's going to go down in the record books. Now, real life events in the film. You know, you might be asking yourself, Zul, uh, Gozer. You know, they mention these guys as real gods. Um, Zul, the gatekeeper, Gozer, the Sumerian god of destruction, and Vins Clortho, uh, the key master, were all made up for the movie. But
1: in real life, I did hook up with a chick named Zuli. Oh, really? And she was definitely a gatekeeper.
2: Now, following the release of Ghostbusters, um, fans made up number of uh, legacies, rituals, and mythologies about uh, these characters, uh, none of which have any true history.
1: You know, though, we talked about in our Ninja Turtles episode, they had that like uh, Dungeons and Dragons type game. Yeah role-playing game role-playing game i would i would definitely be down for a ghostbusters rpg
2: i wonder if they had anything like that well maybe you should invent that crack research
0: would you call it the gatekeeper
2: let's check out one uh event that seems to be based in reality so you might remember this classic line you know mr tully you are a most fortunate individual i know you have been a participant in the biggest interdimensional crossrip since the Tunguska Blast of 1909. Tunguska Blast of 1909. Tunguska incident. Um, this was actually 1908, if, in fact, Ray was referring to the Tunguska event. Now, either of you guys familiar with this event? Uh, sure am not. Never heard of it. Okay, so we're going to learn something on this one. So on the morning of uh, June 30th, 1908, near the Tunguska River in Russia, this is uh, towards Siberia, an explosion of astronomical proportions occurred. Um, This blast flattened over 80 million trees across 830 square miles of forest. Hundreds of reindeer were reduced to charred remains. Uh, Windows were smashed in the nearest town over 35 miles away. Residents even felt heat from the blast, and some were blown off their feet. Uh, Now, this explosion is generally attributed to the airburst of a meteor, and it is classified as an impact event, and it is, in fact, the largest impact event on Earth in recorded history. But no impact crater has ever been found. Hmm. The blast itself is estimated to have the power a thousand times greater than that of the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. So picture a thousand nuclear bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima. And had the Richter scale been around, it would have measured at 5.0. Dust from the explosion hovered over Europe, reflecting light that was bright enough for Londoners to read at night for weeks and weeks after the blast. Hmm. too crazy for that one (laughs) an eyewitness um, that was at the scene he reports
1: at breakfast time I was sitting by the house at Vanava trading post I suddenly saw that directly to the north over Anukui's Tunguska road the sky split in two and fire appeared high and wide over the forest the split in the sky grew larger and the entire northern side was covered with fire at the moment I became so hot I couldn't bear it as if my shirt was on fire. From the northern side, where the fire was, came strong heat. I wanted to tear off my shirt and throw it down, but then the sky shut closed and a strong thump sounded, and I was thrown for a few meters. I lost my senses for a moment, but then my wife ran out and led me to the house. After that such noise came, as if rocks were falling or cannons were firing. The earth shook and when I was on the ground, I pressed my head down, fearing rocks would smash it. When the sky opened up, hot wind raced between the houses, like from cannons, which left traces in the ground like pathways, and it damaged some crops. Later, we saw that many windows were shattered, and in the barn, a part of the iron lock snapped.
2: So, you know, they have this giant explosion. However, with Russia on the brink of World War I and the Russian Revolution, it wasn't until the 1920s, that the first scientific expedition was sent to examine the area. Now, assuming the blast had been caused by a falling meteor- Let's assume. The expedition expected to find a huge crater, as well as pieces of the meteorite. They found neither. Hmm. Uh, Later expeditions also were unable to find credible evidence to prove the blast was caused by a falling meteor. The expedition found a large area of flattened trees spreading out about 31 miles wide in a strange butterfly shape and thus proposed that an extraterrestrial meteor had exploded in the atmosphere. However, it was puzzling that there was no impact crater or in fact any meteoric remnants at all. Uh, in a 1958 expedition to the site, researchers discovered tiny remains of silicate and magnetite in the soil, and further analysis showed that they were high in nickel, a known characteristic of meteoric rock. So this was not one of our first instances of crop circles. No, it was not.
0: And so you're telling me a butterfly UFO landed in Russia <laughs> well, in 1909. Hear me 1908, out. 1908, Sorry. The most widely accepted theory behind the
2: blast involved a meteor or comet impacting the atmosphere and exploding due to atmospheric pressure some 200 to 600 feet off the ground, providing a natural hydrogen bomb effect. (coughs) But the topic is still debated to this day. Other theories speculate possible UFO crash or the effects of a meteor destroyed by a UFO's laser in an attempt to save the Earth. Some suggest the effect could have been the result of matter and antimatter colliding. Uh, When this happens, the particles annihilate and emit intense bursts of energy, or possibly a small black hole coming into contact with Earth. And one of the better theories, my favorite, uh, suggests that the explosion was caused by scientific tests done by Nikola Tesla. So, It has been suggested that the Tunguska explosion was a result of an experiment by Nikola Tesla at his Wardenclyffe Tower, uh, performed during Robert Perry's second North Pole expedition. Uh, Tesla claimed that the tower could be used to transmit electromagnetic energy across large distances. The Wardenclyffe Tower was designed to utilized the largest version of Tesla's patented magnifying transmitter, also known as the Tesla coil, to transmit electrical power into the Earth as well as the upper atmosphere. So in 1908, Tesla allegedly sent a communication to the American explorer Robert E. Perry, advising him to be on the alert and make notes of any unusual auroral phenomenon encountered as he attempted to reach the North Pole. Allegedly, Tesla fired up his transmitter for a trial run and attempted to generate and direct this power towards the North Pole in hope of stimulating the polar aurora and perhaps attracting world attention to his invention. It is alleged that Tesla's trial run coincided with the Tunguska event in Siberia. So, I just imagine... Uh, Nikola Tesla he's in the lab high off cocaine (laughs) and he just flips this switch and then over in Siberia it's just this giant fucking
0: explosion and he's like oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) I had it pointed east not north (laughs) he's just like (laughs) hopefully I didn't kill anyone (laughs) so uh yeah, that was not me. A little trigger happy. In
2: fact, my tower doesn't even work.
0: <laughs> you
2: know, like just Don't imagine. Don't know what happened there. Imagine those effects of he's he's flattening some eighty million trees in Siberia and it's just that big of an explosion. That's like a fucking cartoon with Tesla just <laughs> flipping the switch. Um, but anywho, over a hundred years later. The Tunguska event remains a mystery. So, you know, how's that for some real-life Ghostbusters influence? Mm. Obviously, the film is a giant success, and we got to chalk this up to um, a natural recipe for success. You know, you've got the looks, the brains, the muscle, the wild card. So, you know, everyone adhered to their prescribed type. Uh, Ramus, he owned it as the nerd. Uh, he was the brains as Egon Spangler. Aykroyd took on Ray Stantz, the muscle. Uh, the looks were played by Ernie Hudson. And then there was Bill Murray who took on the wild card. Now, you know, that's my kind of interpretation. Now, would you guys agree that those were the roles they played?
0: Yes. Yeah, I'll agree with that.
2: And, you know, it doesn't always have to be four. It could be three. You know, you've got the looks, the muscle, the wild card.
0: Just like here. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) And, uh, okay, so what would you say for here?
1: You're the brains.
2: Yeah.
0: Adam's the wild card. (laughs) I'm the looks.
2: (laughs) Okay, now, see, I would say I'm the muscle. Adam's the looks. You're the wild card. I like it. Either way. Either way. Either way. The prescribed type works.
0: There's no denying that. Now, why are you the bra- not the brains? You're the muscle. Well, he does all the heavy lifting. He yeah, yeah. The muscle back.
2: and the, like, muscle doesn't necessarily mean you're the strongest guy. It just means you are the one, He's like, the muscle you're the most the passionate brain. about it. You're doing all the heavy lifting, you know? Two birds over here. Yeah. So, you know, everybody stick to their prescribed type. And yeah, it's going to work out, you yep. know. No, a- everybody doesn't have to be the funniest guy in the room, you know. You stick. Especially to, if I'm in the room, I mean, I say, <laughs> damn. you know? You stick to what you know, and uh, that's going to make the film that much more successful. Right, you are. So, film's a giant success. Um, then we get the real Ghostbusters classic cartoon. Classic. Cartoon. Now, Adam, you got any readings on this? I
1: mean, like I said, this was my first exposure to the Ghostbusters. I remember watching this cartoon in the mornings. I had all the toys from the cartoons. There were video games. Okay, so you
2: did have the toys. Oh, yeah. Mom worked at a toy shop. Yes. And so you TV? had the little beams, the little uh, proton pack beams. That, Not would, like,
1: that I had like the action figures. I had like the Ecto-1. Yeah, the Ecto-1 car. You could put all the action figures in there. Everything Slimer. Did you
2: have like a jar of the um, ectoplasm slime? I have
1: no doubt that I did.
2: <laughs> okay. And I'm
1: sure I gave it away.
2: Okay. And did you ever have one of the actual like proton pack toys?
1: I did not, but a few years ago I did dress up as a pretty authentic Ghostbuster. So you made it yourself? No, I did not make it, but my roommate had it from when he was in college and it was pretty legit. I know a guy. Okay. <laughs> That's what I got, man. Check it out if you haven't.
2: Yeah, check out The it's Cartoon on Netflix, Yeah, right? it's streaming on Netflix for free. You I can check it out. This was a classic uh cartoon. Um it's in the vein of those, you know, like anim- like Spider-Man the animated series, mm-hmm. X-Men the animated series. That type of animation, the that, old
1: Captain America kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, Iron that man. 2D animation, um really solid stuff. Slimer plays a big role. Um great stuff. Classic cartoon. Now, I actually have the Ghostbusters 1 and 2 combo
1: set, and it comes with a whole bunch of those episodes on the DVD, so check it if you have that as well.
0: If you're still using D.V. player. Right, right. If you don't have Netflix.
2: So, then we get Ghostbusters 2. Um, This was after the cartoon. So, you know, after the success of the first film and the animated series, um, Columbia Pictures... They sort of said, hey, you know, we got to do a sequel. A sequel is inevitable. You
1: got to milk that cow.
2: Yep. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis and Ivan Reitman were all uncomfortable with this. Um, You know, they thought the original film was, hey, this this is its own thing. You know, it's a conclusive, standalone film, and they kind of all wanted to work on other projects. However, eventually, they agreed to create a script. And in June of 1989, we get Ghostbusters 2.
0: Great year. Great year. Good month. We know what day that came out on? Um, God
2: damn it. <laughs> June 16th. Oh. oh, so close. Super. So super close to this little man's birthday. Uh, June 16th, um, Reitman returned to direct this one, and it had a budget of $37 million. Now at the box office, this one took in 215.4 million. So not quite as much as the first one, but hey, I would still say you know financial success. Um, although the critics did kind of slam this one, mostly saying they didn't "quote unquote" try anything new. Mm. Now what are you guys thinking on that? Try anything new? I mean, in this one... What else had, are they
0: going to do? they yeah. Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah they, they had a river ghosts.
2: of slime that if you got it on you, it made you aggressive. And <laughs> if you played Jackie Wilson's uh, higher and higher, it made it a good <laughs> mood. <laughs> I mean, I think they got as creative as they could, but a lot of what the critics were saying was, you know, comedy-wise, like uh, dialogue-wise, they weren't trying anything new.
0: Well, you know what they say, most critics are cynical assholes. Yep, that is true. Uh, now, Bill Murray himself,
2: uh, Vankman, you know, he says, quote, unquote, those special effects guys took over. It was too much of the slime and not enough of us.
1: Again, man, you got that much talent in one room, and you're going to just shift it to the nerds off screen.
2: Yeah, now this reminds me of the, I, I don't know, but for some reason, like the, sli- the river of pink slime... Every you know the scene where they show the initial river of the slime when they're yes. in the subway? Yeah. Yeah. That shit reminds me of those slime shoes. Do you remember those slime shoes in the 90s? The Converse? Yes. Yes.
1: Did no, you t- ever of those
2: dude? Did you ever have these? So these aren't your
1: stereotypical chucks. We're talking about now, now that I've seen the shoes. I think yeah, this yeah. seems our just you Google it. You remember those? Yeah, yeah, this is
2: our just Google It. I'm gonna put this video, it's a commercial for these slime shoes in the description. Let us know if you had a pair of these because apparently they were pretty rare. Shout out to the late 80s and 90s. Though. Yeah. I remember <laughs> I had a pair of these, and you could push, it was like the slime in them, yep, and you could yeah, push you it, it would change on the star, colors. Yeah, they no would
0: turn like yeah, green yeah. and purple. Yeah. But
2: I remember I didn't have the star ones. I had the tube ones. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, I had
0: the star ones. You would
2: now. Any
0: comments on the
2: uh, second film as a whole? I mean, what are what's our consensus? One, two. What are we
0: going with? What do we like? What do we not like? I mean, it's a tale as old as time, guys. It's all pink inside. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Your whole
2: consensus on Ghostbusters one and two is it's (laughs) It's all 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 pink on the inside so you like the second one better than the first one i'm assuming based I already on that
0: said if you were listening earlier that i like the first one better and that i think stay puffed and slimer are better than the slime river and the painting <laughs> okay teabag what do we way got? more iconic dude come on
1: i i agree i think the first one is way more iconic but i I feel like I see the second one on TV more.
2: I, same. Yeah. We, for some reason, it was shown to me more as a kid. Like I remember mm-hmm. my dad, because for some reason the painting sticks in my mind. Yep, yep, yep. The guy in the painting and the baby. You know, he was trying to take the baby's soul or whatever. Weird premise. Yeah. And he was. Uh, it was just something with that river of slime and the painting that i just that sticks in my mind more although i will say the better one I, the first one i think is a, is a better film i feel like the
1: first one is the second one is more forced
2: yeah but Where the, the f- first one is definitely more like you have the more quotable lines yeah. you have the more iconic shit like the stay puff that don't cross the streams mm-hmm. you know very
0: mm-hmm. cheesy special effects in the second one
2: well, the first one too, and I think that was part of their. But I feel like it charm. wasn't
0: as much though.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely more effects in the second one, but I think that was their whole shtick in the first one was, "Hey, we want to make these effects like kind of cheesy, but but not at the same time, because that played into the film, you know, right, the
1: personalities of the actors." And yeah. I feel like the second one, it's like, "Oh, hey, we've developed all these cool techniques. Let's show off what we can do."
2: Yeah, but I mean, nonetheless, like Ghostbusters 2, if that's on, I'm going to watch it oh, yeah, day. You Oh, know, yeah. That's a classic, too. Now, how about the third film? Talking about the Melissa McCarthy flick? No, I am not. Mm. So during the 1990s, Aykroyd wrote a script for a potential third film in the series titled Ghostbusters 3 Hellbent. The concept had the characters transported to an alternate version of Manhattan called Manhelton, uh, where Word the people play. and places are hellish versions of their originals and where Ghostbusters meet the devil. <laughs> now, <laughs> Is this I, I, like where Kiss meets Santa. Yeah, no, I'm going to say I would actually be interested to see that film. You know if what, it was made in the nineties, sure. Yeah, and if Aykroyd had written that. Yeah. So, you know, I but they well did that now. You think they're too old? I m yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, this was he was writing this in probably the mid to late nineties because um it was reported by 2004 that Murray was the only original Ghostbuster not interested in Ghostbusters 3. Mm. Um he says he disliked sequels. And multiple sources said that Ramus wanted Ben Stiller to join the cast in 2005. Ooh, that would have been fucking hilarious. <laughs> but during a 2009 interview, um, Ramus stated that the project had stalled due to just lack of interest and motivation. So, you know.
1: I mean, I love Ben Stiller, but do you think he really clicks with those other guys? I think it's a different, uh, yeah. Genre, a well, different generation. Yeah, well, I
2: think. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been a little bit different because. Um, Both Ramis and Aykroyd, they confirmed that the script would call for a new group mm. of younger Ghostbusters to take the lead. Aykroyd said, there will be a whole new generation that has to be trained and a leader that you'll all love when you meet her. Uh, there'll be lots of cadets, boys and girls, who will be learning how to use the neuron splitter and the interplanet interceptor, uh, new tools to enable them to split from dimension to dimension. Um, so you know he had kind of an idea of like the new generation usurping um, the former. Uh, but in 2014, um, Harold Ramis, you know this guy, he croaks, he passes away. Uh, Poor went out for him, you know legendary in the game of comedy. And Ivan Reitman kind of abandoned the project. Um, Film directors Philip Lord and Christopher Miller were in talks to direct the film, but passed on the project, leading to its cancellation. And in August of 2014, Paul Feig revealed that he was in talks to direct a third film in the franchise, but with women in the lead roles. Uh, He revealed that the film would be a reboot and not a sequel for Ghostbusters 2. Uh, the reboot was released on July 15th, 2016. Um, this one had a budget of 144 million, earning only 229.1 million at the box office.
0: So, and the OG had 30 mil- was a budget
2: of 30? 30. So, I mean What's you guys' consensus? Have you seen the 2016 Ghostbusters and Answer the Call? Have we seen it? I have not. This is the one with Melissa McCarthy. Yep. Terrible film. Okay, so you've seen it. I did. Um, All right, so why don't you kind of give your initial thoughts on the film? We'll get into some of the controversy, uh, some of our thoughts on the reboot, and maybe you can kind of play off of my ideas here. I mean, I feel
1: like you said it's a reboot of the original, just complete play off of it. Rip off! it's like star wars and you're gonna get me started on a rant so i won't go down that alley tonight um for uh, i will preface it i i watched i watched the movie on a flight from here to north carolina so okay. i started with suicide squad which was a major bus
2: yeah, horrible and then i watched this one no pun so intended. yeah
1: <laughs> it was just not a good movie experience for me
2: okay So, you know, obviously, you know, as we've learned from a lot of our episodes, but, um, in terms of this, we'll stick to one that we all, that we know all too well, uh, Star Wars. So with any reboot, there's going to be controversy. Um, and this does seem to be, uh, the case with Ghostbusters and, you know, even more so, not just like the reboot was controversial. This seems to be sort of a Goldilocks formula of events. So, you know, the trailer drops in March of 2016. By May of that year, the trailer had become the most disliked film trailer on YouTube (laughs) and the ninth most disliked YouTube video ever with 280,000 likes to over 1 million dislikes. Damn. So, you know, right off the bat, um, this film was controversial and it was like... uh, you know, they we get the whole attack of like the um you know misogynistic tones, uh the social justice warriors, the racism. Basically every start everything started right when the trailer dropped. So this film from the jump was was seen as a controversy. Mm. Um, you know, Ivan Reitman, uh director of the original franchise, he even said uh, quote unquote, I think many of the people who are complaining were actually lovers of the movie, not haters of women.
1: I, I agree with him there. Like I think that was one of the reasons I didn't like it. I was like, man, this is a...
2: Like, you know, come on, like redo something else. You know? Something,
1: and I feel or,
2: like... Or come up with something original.
1: Yeah, I feel like Hollywood is trying to cash in because I, I saw Bridesmaid with Melissa McCarthy and uh, Kristen Wiig. Is that her name? Yep. Great movie, yeah! Hilarious. They're trying to cash in, you know, just milk that cow for what it's worth, and it just was not the time and place for it.
2: Yeah, and I also, but I also think like uh, you know, bridesmaids like that worked because it was a chick flick. And and not only that, I mean, think about it, like that was a redo. That was kind of a reboot on like um, the Hangover. Mm, That was basically a chick, a chick version of the Hangover, but it was funny. It was good. Like that movie worked, and if you. Like, trying to do that with something like Ghostbusters, I, I mean, maybe, like, it looked okay on paper, but it just didn't work. I feel like Hangover, like,
1: that's, like, the everyman, like, can relate to that. But where, whereas Ghostbusters is kind of like that nerdy thing, and you're trying to put these funny women into these this nerdy role. Yep, yeah, exactly, I,
2: exactly. And, you know, Feig himself, he said, it was a it was a great regret in my life that the movie didn't do better because I really loved it. It's not a perfect movie. None of my movies are perfect. Uh, I liked what we were doing with it. It was only supposed to be there to entertain people. Um, But, you know, with all this controversy and everything, Feig, um, the director of the film, he also did Bridesmaids, um, you know, other funny movies. He did a simple favor, which was a great movie released Mm. this year. You know, he said by the time that the trailer dropped and this whole controversy sparked, everyone was like, what the fuck, you know, we don't want to go to a cause. We just want to watch a movie. Movies and sports are supposed to distract us from all this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, my review I will say not as bad as I thought. You know, I watched this the other day with Bobby Bones. Shout uh, out. Yeah, yes. shout out Bobby Bones. He probably ate about uh 13 edibles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but so, he thought it was <laughs> great. He was fucking loving it over there.
2: He was dying. But, you know, no, honestly, I After all the negative reviews, because I try not to pay attention. Like, if it's a movie I'm actually interested in, I Mm -hmm. won't pay attention to any reviews, and I'll just go watch it completely uh, unbiased. You know, I just got to see, hey, no reviews. I'm not swayed anyway. But this one, you know, I heard so much bad things. I expected to be such a shit show. And I will say, it was not as bad as I expected it to be. Um, And I will say the whole, like, uh, spoiler alert... The whole like ley lines aspect in the end of it, like that was actually pretty cool Mm because that was rooted in some real life like paranormal stuff. You know, they they brought that in and, you know, that wasn't even in the original, Um, but they brought that into this film. I think that was pretty cool. But, you know, my whole spiel on this one is, you know, the OG film. It was written by Aykroyd. And, you know, this guy, as we said, he was from a long line of paranormal researchers. Spiritualist. Yeah, he was truly passionate about the film getting made. You know, I mean, he stood by with Ramis as they totally redid the script. And, you know, Dan was okay with that because he was like, what do I have to do to get this film made? I want to get this film made. And he was that passionate about it. Um, And, he, you know, he was down with ghosts and the paranormal since day one. And with this reboot, you know, it just doesn't feel the same. There's not that passion there. You know, a lot of the jokes, they have nothing to do with the content of the movie. Like, you've got Bill Murray improv-ing on the keys, you know? They hate that. Like, that is so funny. And, like, this movie, it's like none of the jokes hit on anything paranormal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, and that again just made it much worse. And I think I watched actually like an extended version. So they had like even longer jokes in there, oh, which boy. were just like, oh my God. Like there was, there was like maybe three bits where me and Bobby kind of looked at each other watching this thing, just like, Jesus. Like <laughs> hopefully that was not in the actual version. And probably the biggest issue that I noticed. They did not stick to that formula that we talked about earlier. Everybody in this film wanted to be Vankman. Right, right. You, you know, don't know, everybody, your role. yeah, you have to know your role. You have to help support the other people. You know, that's what makes comedy in this way work. And with that movie, you had everybody trying to have the funniest line, um, trying to outdo everybody. Like everybody was trying to be so funny. And that just kind of, you know, it just didn't work right with the film.
1: Too many cooks in
2: in the kitchen. Yep. Or too many (laughs) chiefs, not enough Indians. There you go. Uh, You know? So, as with any movie, um, what are we constantly talking about? Um, What's the measure of any film that is great? How many pornos get made about it? Yep. The porn parody.
1: Has it been spoofed by The Simpsons? And is it a pornographic film?
2: Now, with this one, we have a lot.
0: Pornographic films made, and and it's also been spoofed by The Simpsons. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. That's the horrors.
2: Now, I would say Ghostbusters itself is kind of a, a dirty movie, right? Oh, 100%. I mean, think about it. He's getting a blowjob from a ghost in one of the scenes. Uh, don't cross the streams. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that itself was like improv apparently. Like in the end, they were like, hey, let's do this. Like it, that's definitely a dick joke.
1: Oh, dude. Well, I'm just saying Venkman right from the start is perving on a dish oh, we're doing this experiment. Oh, yeah. He's a college <laughs> professor. And he, dude. When he's
2: got the cards and he's like, it is, in fact, not a square. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's shocking the guy. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, it is.
1: And then throughout the whole movie, obviously, trying to pick up on Sigourney
2: Weaver. Yep. And oh, knows, yep. Yeah. Oh, classic. And, you know, I want to cite this uh, um for some of this research found. So in 1984, the same year that Ghostbusters came out, we get Sexbusters. A lot of bush in that one. Yep, a lot of bush. And that was apparently nothing to do with Ghostbusters aside from the song <laughs> and the like costumes that the chicks wear. Um, browsers in 2009... Comes out with the
0: Nutbusters. Shout out to Gianna Michaels. Yep, Gianna Michaels, uh,
2: classic. Check that out if you're under the persuasion. Can we get her in? A, yeah, can we get her in an episode? That'd be great. <sighs> Who knows where she's at now? 2011, Hustler comes out with This Ain't Ghostbusters <laughs> XXX, um, and classic. Pr- one of the most legendary. Now this will tie into the actual film, and I'm not even making this stuff up. Um, so, Cuntbusters. <laughs> Um, now, they actually just made a mock poster for this film. There was no actual film made. And they put Ron Jeremy on the poster. And Ron, in fact, is an extra in Ghostbusters. In the original Ghostbusters, if you want to see Ron Jeremy, this is only in the widescreen version. That's the only way they could fit him in. <laughs> Go an hour and 15 minutes into the film, uh, just after Peck, has had the containment unit shut off, and the film cuts away to Ray and Winston pulling up in Ecto-1 behind a police barricade and a crowd out there. On the left is Ron Jeremy, trademark mustache and all.
1: And it's because he's got that 89 vision. (laughs) Now, to wrap this one up. If you're listening, you've probably seen all of these, but if you haven't, be sure to check Especially the cartoon, man. Like I think that's good stuff. The original and the cartoon. Check those out if you haven't already.
2: Well, if they're listening and they haven't seen any of these, I don't know why they would still be listening. (laughs) Major spoilers. (laughs) Major spoilers. So let's get into ghost beliefs. Now, we hit on this uh, a bit on our last episode. You know, a little bit of a tie-in. We kind of told our own ghost stories. Um, Adam, you're a big animal ghost guy, right? I believe. Okay, Rob, you had multiple ghost stories. Yes, sir. um, But you probably told us your best one. In a 2017 study by Chapman University, uh, 52% of people agree or strongly agree that places can be haunted by spirits. So that's more than half Mm. of people polled. Now, a Huffington Post, uh, UGov poll... Of a 1,000 people, suggest that about 45% say they believe in ghosts or spirits of the dead can come back in certain places and situations. Some 32% also said that ghosts or spirits can hurt living people, while 43% said ghosts, if they are real, are harmless. Mm. Now, what, are, what is your guys, as ghost believers, what's your consensus there? See, I don't know about places being haunted Huh? But you think it's people being haunted? Yeah. I'm going to lean towards that. Okay. So you're leaning towards people being haunted. What about actually ghosts being able to harm people? I mean, we talked last week about poltergeists and stuff. I
1: haven't <laughs> personally experienced it, but I'm not, I'm not going to be skeptic and say that it doesn't happen. I, I feel like you have a good story for it. Well, okay, a story for us.
0: Okay. Rob? Uh, I think places can be haunted. I think people can be haunted. And I think, I don't know if I would say, like, physically hurt people, but I feel like there's definitely spirits that can, like, move things around. Maybe if it's, like, a demon, you know, Mm. that would probably fuck you up. As our boy Nicklaus would say, you don't fuck with the demon. (laughs) So, this is obviously
2: the Halloween special. So, I pulled three ghost stories. Um, Each of us are going to read one. I've got one here. That's a case from a, uh, an experiment with a Ouija board. And then I've got two other um, special kind of ghost haunting stories that we'll get into. Um, but I'll start it off with
0: this Ouija story. And can we get a read on that guy's uh, name again that wrote that book? So this is from
2: Ouija, the most dangerous game by Stoker Hunt.
1: And they're not hunting people in this book.
2: No, they're not. Okay. They're
1: there's just stoking them.
2: A different kind of most dangerous. Stoker cunt. So this comes from a lady who um was a frequent user of a Ouija board. Now she says in her letter, and this letter was written to Ed and Lorraine Warren uh for help. So he knows it's bullshit. <laughs> so she says, I desperately need help. I really have no idea how to explain the unexplainable to you. The unthinkable is happening to me. It is happening now as I attempt to write this letter. I will try to be coherent, logical, and calm. I will try to give you the facts as best I can hope that you can help me. I don't know where else to turn. I was a card reader, a psychic all my life. Four years ago, I made the devastating mistake of attempting to reach my deceased mother through the Ouija board. I got results, but it was not my mother whom I contacted. It was some sort of entity which had watched me since her death. I don't know what it is, but I know it is not human. The spirits who used to help me with my work have disappeared. All there is now is it. My life is being dominated by this demon. Dear God, how can I tell you? Every day it viciously rapes me, sodomizes, and beats me. On the day it first came through the Ouija board, it pretended to be my mother. Later, I was automatic writing, and then suddenly, alone in my room, I was attacked. I am a married woman, but the pain of the assault was excruciating. I was afraid to cry out for fear that it would hurt my children who were in the next room. But it doesn't want my children. It is not interested in children, thank God. When it was done with me the first time, I needed medical care for the pain and for pelvic and bladder infections. Now I am virtually bedridden and in constant pain. It has not stopped torturing me since the first day. Violent beatings, stabbings, constant rape, that's all the demon does to me. My body is no longer the same. It doesn't function as it used to. You may think that I am mad, that I must be by now. It does all it can to force me to commit suicide constant badgering berating verbal abuse and foul and sickening and dirty it is unbelievable it is always covering me hanging on to me hurting 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 my husband often finds me on the floor or hiding or screaming so loud I'm afraid I might be carted out it wakes me up when it lets me sleep to rape and torture me it is always there always there Has this ever happened to any other woman? I truly don't know where to turn. For some reason, this foul and hideous thing has decided to help itself to my life. Please help me. I can't hold on much longer. It calls itself Sheik Abdullah and speaks in a heavy Arabic accent. It has pretended to be many people and can make a voice like my mother's. It creates illusions and terrible, terrible visions. Anything ugly it can add while it rapes and beats me. I feel more than half dead. Please help me. Sheik Abdullah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am here to rape your women. (laughs) Guys, come on. Hope you like getting
2: raped. Yeah, that's a warning, guys. I mean, don't, you might think, hey. This is fun. Let's go out to the cemetery. Let's fucking drink some beer. Let's fuck with a Ouija board. You literally
0: just had that plan last weekend. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) You guys want to go down to the cemetery, bring a Ouija board, get some beers? Well, we weren't going to talk about raping people. This is a cautionary tale. She she was trying to contact her mom. This is a cautionary tale. Next thing you know. Now you guys are making fun of this, Damien. You could be be getting raped
2: by (laughs) Sheik Abdullah. (laughs) So we'll go out to the cemetery this weekend. We'll conjure up Sheik Abdullah. Can come you, in here and rape our own Rob. Can you? <laughs> so, you know, guys, cautionary tale. Do not fuck, as Nicklaus says, with a demon. Or a Ouija board. Or a Ouija board. I mean, you think it's funny, but hey, next thing you know, you're getting raped by Sheik Abdullah.
0: <laughs> so. So that's it. That's just the whole story. Nothing ever happened with it. I mean, she wrote that to
2: the Warrens. I don't know if they ever helped her out or not. That's the story. (laughs) We're trying to get people creeped out. mm. So next up, Whaley House, San Diego, one of the most haunted places in the U.S. Uh, So I want to cite whaleyhouse.org. Very cool place to check out, by the way, if you're ever in Old Town in San Diego.
1: The Whaley House is an 1857 Greek Revival-style residence first occupied by Thomas Whaley and his wife Anne in August of 1857. Now it is a California historical landmark and museum located in California right up the road in 2476 San Diego Avenue, Old Town in San Diego. The house is considered the number one most haunted house in the United States. The earliest documented ghost at the Whaley House is Yankee Jim. James Santiago Robinson was convicted of attempted grand larceny in San Diego in 1852 and hanged on the gallows of the back of a wagon on the site where the house now stands. Local newspapers reported that he kept his feet in the wagon as long as possible, but was finally pulled off, swinging back and forth like a pendulum until he strangled to death. Although Thomas Whaley had been a spectator at the execution, it did not dissuade him from buying the property a few years later and building a home for his family there. According to the San Diego Union, soon after the couple and their children moved in, heavy footsteps were heard moving about the house. Whaley described them as sounding as though they were made by the boots of a large man. Finally, he came to the conclusion that these unexplained footfalls were made by Yankee Jim Robinson himself. Lillian Whaley, the Whaley's youngest daughter who lived in the house until 1953, had been convinced the ghost of Yankee Jim haunted the old house. A visitor to the museum in 1962 mentioned that the ghost had driven her family from their visit there more than 60 years earlier. Her mother was unnerved by the phantom walking noise and the strange way the windows unlatched and flew up. Many visitors to the house have reported encountering Thomas Whaley himself. The late June Reading, former curator of the museum, said, We had a little girl, perhaps five or six years old, who waved to a man she said was standing in the parlor. We couldn't see him. However, many adults have reported seeing the apparition of Mr. Whaley, usually on the upper landing. One said he was clad in frock coat and pantaloons. The face turned away from her so she could not make it out. Then suddenly it faded away. The specter of Anna Whaley has been reported, usually in the downstairs rooms or the garden. In 1964, Miss Whaley's floating, drifting spirit appeared to the television personality Regis Philbin, who said, All of a sudden, I noticed something on the wall. There was something filmy white. It looked like an apparition of some kind. I got so excited I couldn't restrain myself. I flipped on the flashlight and nothing was there but a portrait of Anna Whaley, the long-dead mistress
0: of the house. Was he spending the night there? I don't know, but I guess (laughs) he just saw a picture and thought it was a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Saw something filmy and white on the wall. Mm. Maybe he was doing a little busting. (laughs) Probably. Probably busting makes him feel good. Hey, you would too if Kelly was your
1: co-host. Even animal ghosts are reported. A parapsychologist reported he saw a spotted dog like a fox terrier that ran down the hall with its ears flapping into the dining room. The dog, he said, was an apparition. When they lived in the house, the Whaley's owned a terrier named Dolly Varden. Now, is that a play on Dolly Parton? Many report of seeing a young lady ghost who appears to be surrounded in sorrow up on the second floor just standing there. Some people say that when they saw the lady ghost, they themselves felt overwhelmingly saddened. This sad soul is thought to be that of Violet Whaley who on the 18th of August, 1885, took a gun and shot herself in her chest resulting in her death. No one has lived in the house since 1953, and over the years numerous restorations have been carried out. Many workers claim to have heard unexplainable noises from loud bangs, whispering, laughter, wallowing, and even screams and crying. As Regis Philbin once said, You know a lot of people poo-poo it because they can't see it, but there was something going on in that house. Now, is this where we go to dinner whenever we bring people to town?
2: Uh, it's around. Close by. Yeah, it's close by, but not the same place. That's another haunted building Adams referring to the Cosmopolitan Hotel. That's it. Also haunted in, right here in San Diego.
1: If you're ever visiting, come check out Old Town. They do a great yeah. ghost tour.
2: Come hang out with us. They do a great ghost tour right down the street from us. Um, great just ghost town, if you will. Old Town, Old oh. ghosts. What is that all about? Great ghost town? Yeah. Dude. Two haunted places right next to each other. <laughs> Something so sad about it. A lot that. of spooky things happen Dude. in San Diego. Now, this next one got a site, hauntedva.blogspot.com. This is our childhood. Yeah. Another interesting one we picked. You know, this one's from our roots. Uh, Cavalier Hotel in our hometown, Virginia Beach, Virginia. And Rob is going to read this one for us.
0: Cavalier Hotel is a historic hotel building at 4201 Atlantic Avenue, Virginia Beach, Virginia. 7 story building was designed by Neff and Thompson with a Y shaped floor plan and was completed in 1927 and has a rich history of luxury, prominent guests, and tragedy. Shout out to my boy Pusha T, recently got married there. The Cavalier Hotel has seen a share of deaths and too, like many other places in this world, has been labeled as haunted. The hotel opened in 1927 and was designed to be the most luxurious hotel in the whole state of Virginia. Located along the beach, brought thousands of tourists to the Virginia Beach area until the US Navy took over the building during World War II. Now in 1973, the Cavalier opened its brand new extension, which is located on the beach line. The old Cavalier Hotel has seen seven former US presidents stay in one of its suites. Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, the vacuum guy, (laughs) Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, even JFK, Lyndon Johnson, and Richard Nixon all enjoyed the luxury tradition and the view that only the Cavalier can provide. Now, do you think JFK bowed Marilyn there? May well have. Probably not. Some claims have been made by guests who have stayed in this hotel on numerous occasions that there is a bellhop or what appears to be an African-American hotel worker who stands on the steps below the sixth floor telling visitors not to go up because there are ghosts up there. This is by far the most serious claim since not only do you have a voice but this man is showing up as an apparition. There is also the story of Adolph Coors, Mm. founder of Coors Brewery, who plunged to his death from the sixth floor of this hotel building. Many people who stay on the sixth floor say they experience cold spots, voices, even the sounds of flesh slapping the pavement below. A little pop, pop, (laughs) pop. Nobody knows whether Coors committed suicide or was killed, as his death is highly suspect. He died in 1929, which is during the middle of the Prohibition era. The hotel has also seen numerous guests call the front desk complaining about a cat wandering the halls late at night. No cat has ever been seen or found in the past half century. There is a local rumor about a girl who brought her pet cat with her when she stayed there and one day the cat got loose and wound up falling onto the outdoor swimming pool causing the little girl to jump in after it. Both the girl and the cat drowned. Although an apparition of a little girl is not something that has been reported at the hotel the sound of the cat is something that has been reported on a regular basis. Oh, I bet there's a lot of wet pussy at that hotel. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but guests have also seen a white lady in the lobby dragging a suitcase behind her. They've also stated that their towels have a tendency to change colors on occasion. The toilet will flush randomly, and the elevator will run when nobody's around. Now, not citing the uh, haunted blog spot. I knew a guy once that worked at the Cavalier. No, you didn't. Okay. No, I did. And he said that he hadn't seen it, but someone that worked there has seen an apparition of the little girl. And they're actually kind of creepy. They keep, I mean, I don't know if they still do this since they're like owned by new management and everything. But he said the creepiest thing about working there is they keep a record of everything that happens and he said the record's so big it's in file cabinets because they write down, they're supposed to write down every time they see something creepy or someone reports something.
2: Like a haunting? Yeah,
0: since 1927. Or There's just any file incident. cabinets full of them. Yeah. Oh, man, I'd love to. So a them. lot of the time it's the bellhop or the white the lady in white. Now, but, who is this guy?
2: Can we get our hands on a copy?
0: Um, I don't really talk to the guy anymore, but I can, you know, see, cask around.
2: Okay, okay. I mean, there you have it, guys. um that's our Halloween special this year. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. You know, I tried to pull three uh good ghost stories, you know, one that was pretty interesting, and two, you know they kind of represent where we are now and and our roots, you know, and we've got both coasts, you know, we've got the East and West coast um with the Whaley House and the Cavalier Hotel. Um, And, you know, if if any of you guys have any ghost stories, um, feel free to send them our way. I mean, um, hell, maybe we'll do a uh, listener ghost story episode one day. Um, We can kind of read you guys' ghost stories or maybe have some of you on um, an episode. Um, Tell some of your ghost stories, maybe something you've seen. Hell, maybe make a believer out of me because after all this research, I'm still not sold on the whole ghost uh, thing. But, you know... Hopefully you enjoyed it, and um, happy Halloween, everybody. I hope everybody has a
0: great time giving out candy, and uh, everybody stay safe out there. Next year, be prepared, moron. As always, feel free to slide in those DMs, Podcast from Outer Space on Instagram, or Podcast from Outer Space at gmail.com. Hit us up with questions, comments, concerns, compliments. You know, Maybe you want to hear something uh, that we haven't talked about yet, or maybe you want to come be a guest on the show. Let us know. And uh, as always, thanks for listening.
1: Yes, happy Halloween to all our listeners out there. If you haven't seen Ghostbusters, or even if you have, you know, I feel like it's a great boning
2: movie. Go ahead and turn that on with your significant other. And Bustin' will make you feel good. Oh, yeah. Yes, just like Ray Parker Jr. said, Bustin' makes him feel
1: good. But yeah, thanks again for listening. Go ahead and smash that like and subscribe button. Can you leave us a five-star review. Five-star review. Tell all your friends to give us a listen. And uh, so long and thanks for all the fish.